taking care of yourself is priority. Your child will still be disabled tomorrow. And she was very offended when I said that, <laughs> but, but it, she called later and said, I get it now. You know, I think that we're just so in panic mode all the time and we're just, we're not giving ourselves time to breathe and grieve. You know, we have to kind of grieve that our life does not look like we thought it was going to look like, you know, this is not our dream of parenthood. And it sucks. And it's okay to say it sucks. And it's okay to be yourself. And it's okay to go to the mall or go hang out with your friends or do whatever. You just got to get the supports in place very early so that you can, you know, do that. Welcome to the Daily Naked Parent Podcast brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. On today's show, we'll be discussing hidden secrets of special needs parents. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name's Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. Before I introduce you to our guest today, let me start by sharing a message from Naked Parent Nation. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents and professionals raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truth, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment one day at a time. This is the process of naked parenting. Whether it be your first step or your 10th, I'd like to welcome you to Naked Parent Nation and the Naked Parent Podcast. On today's show, we have Heather Stone, who is a business owner and author and an amazing person who I can't wait to share with you and I can't wait to learn more from. So Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited to hear about your journey and your expertise. And so we can get to know you better. Can you just describe you and your family life and your setting just so we can have a better picture of who you are? Sure. My name is Heather and I have several children. The one that keeps me on my toes is my son, Noah. Noah is actually now 23 years old. So I've, I'm on the other side of autism parenting for sure. So I have him, I have uh, two daughters, and then I have two other little boys that I um, recently adopted as well. I own a health insurance agency. I started that when Noah was sick and um, healthcare reform wasn't healthcare reform wasn't a thing yet. I figured it out and kind of started helping other parents in the hospital figure out their health coverage. And it just kind of uh, happened from there, you know? So that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Can you tell us when the special needs 
part of your journey came on the radar? Like, was it yeah. early on? Or it was. was it- so my son, Noah, had a, a childhood stroke. So he had a stroke when he was three years old. He was born walking, talking, meeting his milestones perfectly. And then, you know, it just kind of unfortunately hit us like a ton of bricks. At the time, I was a very young mom. I was a teen mom with a, you know, critically ill at the time, three-year-old little boy. So, you know, I had to navigate things on my own back then. No, everyone didn't have access to the internet. (laughs) You know, it wasn't really a thing like it is now. So I learned how to navigate the system through some providers, some parents that were kind of sharing stories and there wasn't this big connection. So it was challenging for sure. Wow. Did the stroke sort of ignite the special needs or... Yeah, 100%. So for a while, Noah was completely deaf. He was nonverbal. He's like partially verbal now, but he was nonverbal, extremely aggressive. The aggression did not stop. And Noah is now placed in a group home because of the aggression. But it did. It started as soon as he was, you know, three years old. And he just kind of started to get his bearings back, you know, with therapies and time and sometimes natural play and just kind of letting him be a kid. So, you know, he functions to the best ability he has now because we as a family really we push him to the limits. And, you know, for a lot of parents, sometimes that's really uncomfortable for us, you know, but we all learn by failing. So, you know, Noah has a YouTube rap video and he has apraxia and aphasia and he doesn't speak very well, but that gave him confidence. So he always liked music. So I put him in singing lessons and he, you know, always liked to play hockey and everyone's screaming, don't do it. Don't let him. He's a stroke. He has a head injury, his epilepsy. What are you thinking? And I put the kid on skates. (laughs) So he definitely, I pushed him to kind of the best of his ability and he is thriving. And that was, you know, the reason that I decided to write my book because Every day I would go to sleep and, you know, it's hard when you're going to the therapies and you're going to the schools and you're going to the IEP meetings and they're telling you your child can't do this and your child can't do this. Right. And, and, you know, there are things that they can do. And I didn't listen to, you know, all of the can'ts. I um, made sure that I kept my own identity, which I think is really important in our community. There, there wasn't any support. So I wanted to make sure that Once my journey was kind of starting to go into another phase, I was going to be able to support um, moms behind me. Wow. So aggression being one of the big challenges that Noah and the family faces that's been going on for 20 years now. Yeah. And and that is, you know, that is the one thing with the autism community, which in my book, I bring up aggression a lot. And I feel like there's a lot of guilt and shame with parents that have aggressive kids. And I understand not all of them do, but there's, you know, there's a lot of guilt and shame where we don't like to admit it. We don't like to admit sometimes that, you know, it hurts and it sucks and it can be domestic violence and it's not their fault. They're never going to say that. It's not their fault. It's their way to kind of stem sometimes or get their aggression out, but it's traumatic. And every time I've talked to a parent or I've been on a chat group or support groups, like they hear violence and then everyone I feel like just kind of starts like backing up, (laughs) you know, it is real and it is painful. And I had to make a decision at some point that if I didn't place um, Noah into a group home, then, you know, something very serious was going to happen to either myself or my other children. I was married to a police officer at the time and the cops were at my house like every other day, (laughs) you know, and we had to Baker Act and do a bunch of stuff. So for me, group home placement 
was the best thing that I did. And I know that that's not, you know, the best place for everybody. And sometimes when special needs parents hear group home, hands go up, not giving up my kid. I'm doing this forever. I'm the forever parent and he's going to live with me in school. You know, I expire, but you know, it, can be a really good fit for people. And I don't feel like there's a good light on group homes or independent living or supported living or whatever it's called within the state. But I will speak for my son and the 14 other kids that I see once a week. It has been amazing for my child. I pretty much, you know, put him in a frat house. (laughs) You know, he's 18 years old. Everybody that he lives with has, you know, the same abilities as he does. And, you know, they have a community and they're very, very happy. You know, we see each other quite often. And when I first did it, you know, I got so incredibly shunned by the special needs community. But, you know, they didn't see inside my house. They didn't see the secrets. They didn't see the bruises. They didn't see the, you know, him chasing us around with the hockey stick. And I, for years, you know, had not just had myself deal with that, but my children as well. So once the guilt and shame of myself, you know, I had to go through the guilt and shame of making that decision on my own. And after it kind of continued from the community, I just decided to stand up, not going to sit down anymore. And I'm going to stick up for the parents behind me that are struggling with the same thing. Yeah. You know, I get told about one of my kids that I need to put him in a group home. Mm -hmm. My challenge was the one home he was in when I didn't have control, I would show up and he'd be laying on the ground with a dirty diaper, not moving and he can't not move. So I knew that they had, they had to drug him and they Mm -hmm. weren't caring for him and he had no voice. So no voice is a big deal. It it absolutely is. And each group home is different. And I, so I am a psycho and I went and got a certification to, I first, I thought I was going to open a group home because I didn't Uh want to give up that control. So I was like, I'm just going to do it myself. And I went and got certified. And then I started volunteering at all the different group homes in my area just because I wanted to see what it was like and what I've heard from other parents. I just needed to be there on my own. And there are some group homes that are terrible (laughs) and there are some that are kind of okay. And, you know, I was able to choose one that was a good fit for my son, which every state does not let you do that. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it is trial and error and it is, it is not a good fit for every person and every state has different requirements. And, you know, but for my son in his situation, it did, it worked out very well. At the same time, my son can pick up the phone and say, hey, something bad is happening, you know, and, and I mean, I can understand and most people can't, but that's, that was very important for us as well. And if yeah. I had a daughter, I don't know if I would have made the same decision, but I know that we definitely could no longer live the way that we were. And my children didn't deserve to get, see mommy in crisis all the time and get attacked. And, you know, yeah. it was, it was yeah. a hard decision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm glad you're talking about it because I think it's one of the things, one of the secrets that people aren't talking about. And then what you suffer in silence and who does that help? It doesn't help anyone. And, you know, out of 10 parents, only two or three may actually say, "Okay, this is a good fit for my child. But nobody advocates for (laughs) for, you know, let's exploring that. And some of these stories end very tragically. And, you know, I I just want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Tell us the inspiration for the book and what we learn about when we read the book. So the book kind of goes through not just my journey, but other parents' journeys as well. I interviewed probably 20 different parents and kind of everyone has the same fears. What's going to happen when I pass away? Who's going to take care of them? How can I afford this life? <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and there's a, you know, there's a huge identity crisis and it depends on 
on the level of stress that we have as well. But I think so many parents, when I ask someone, you know, tell me about yourself, they tell me about their child. They're not really telling me about themselves. Uh So, you know, self-care obviously is very important, which, you know, everyone says, yeah, it's great. Where do I have the time? So my book will say, you know, where find some resources to get the time. We kind of all, you'll also in the book realize that I think that all of us have mental health need, (laughs) you know, for sure. We spend a lot of time, you know, getting our child therapy, but very, very little time getting us therapy as well. So I have some some tips in there and some things like give an hour and some camps that are kind of respite care options and, you know, some some ideas as well. I, I go over uh, dating for both parents. I feel like a lot of parents refuse to date and that's yeah. crap in my opinion because our children can be loved by other people, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. And I have some examples of that. And it's just, you know, a book of hope for people who are, you know, struggling and saying, you know, that in this, in the guilt and the kind of in the victimhood of kind of being in this life and finding some solutions and some light at the end of the tunnel to, you know, put ourselves first. And the name of the book and where can we find it? So it's called Invisible Parents. It's the Hidden Secrets of Special Needs Parents. It is on Amazon right now. A Kindle version, and or you can get a paperback version. It's like fourteen ninety nine. And if there's any parent that can't afford that, I will happily mail them a copy. (laughs) And how was the process of writing the book for you? I mean, that's a big undertaking. Yeah. Well, I wrote a book, and now everybody TikToks. So you know. (laughs) So how's the journey been for you? I mean, you have a lot of kids. You've you've been through a challenging journey assuming highs and lows, how you navigated the last 20 years? So I've always tried to keep myself of my sense of identity. So like I had to learn to compartmentalize like this is, you know, Noah's behavior. And then I I took in another child as well for a while that was special needs as well. So then I had, you know, two at, at one time and then, you know, but I had to just compartmentalize their behaviors versus mine. And then, you know, their situations just, I couldn't take it to heart. And it's so easy to do, (laughs) you know, (laughs) especially when you're being told all the things they can't do, or, you know, having behavior issues or sent home from school, but I definitely compartmentalized it. And I made sure that my time was a priority. I mean, I wanted a career and I found a way to do it. It was really, really hard. But my other option was to be on welfare because it's just the way that our government is set up. If you don't, if you want healthcare for your child, you have to go to Medicaid or you have to make a ton of money, (laughs) you know? So I kind of tried to find a balance by being self-employed so I could take the time that I needed for myself and for him to get him to therapies and stuff as well. What do you say to somebody who says that's impossible? I can hardly like take care of my kid, let alone start a business on top of it. I mean, how does somebody get on that path? Got to realize that it is okay for other people to love your children and take care of your children. And I think that that is as so many parents will say, you know, I can't get a babysitter or I can't do this. But, you know, there are respite programs out there. Each state is different, as I said, but, you know, they are available. We have like nanny cams in our houses now. So that can be, you know, very helpful. If they go to school, there are people who can love and care for them there. And I've noticed too, a lot of parents don't ask for help. They just assume that nobody's going to help. They've just refused to ask. You know, I had a friend of mine, she's like, you know, why don't you ever let me help you watch your son? And I'm like, I don't know why you'd want to, (laughs) you know, she's like, I love him. And I would love for you to go get your nails done or take a break or go on a date or do whatever. So I think that we start like self-isolating. 
And a lot of it is is self-isolation. And in, in addition to that, resources and not kind of making excuses for, you know, this isn't going to work. We'll try it first, <laughs> you know, and see if, if it does work and give yourself some boundaries and at least attempt to do it. So where are you spending most of your time these days? Now that my son is placed, I see my son eight days a month, which sounds like it's not a lot, but he's, he's, he's older now and he has his little day programs that he goes to, but you know, I'm able to kind of catch up with my other kids. So I'm spending a lot of quality time with them that they missed those first, you know, eight, nine, 10 years. I was crisis mommy for a long time. So I'm spending a lot of quality time with my kids, working on my business, doing the book launch and, you know, just making sure that I'm emotionally available for my other children now. And even like my parents and my friends that, you know, dealt with the nervous wreck of me for two decades. Yeah. (laughs) What are the ages? Like how close in age were the kids? My my, they did. So my, I have a 24 year old daughter and then I have a 23 year old. My son Noah is 23. And then my little one is 17. So they all grew up in the same house when, um, when Noah was being raised. And then I had Tony, which was my adopted son. Well, I fostered him and, and he had to go into another line of care because of the state, but he was, so he'll be 24 now. So they were all very, very close in age. And, you know, then we had to deal with, you know, some puberty issues and some sexual issues that didn't, aren't quite easy to explain. And it was a lot, (laughs) you know, but but I will say that, you know, Noah's sisters um, and for Tony as well, they know they will go to the end of the earth for their brother. I've set up very clear expectations for them because I think that we're all very, just so worried about what happens when we're not here. So my expectations for my daughters are very clear. (laughs) You know, it's, you will continue to be in their life. You will pick them up, you know, on the holidays. And I don't want him to be alone on Christmas, Easter, any of that. You're going to be involved. But, you know, I do want them to live their own lives and not have that, that responsibility over them all the time as well. But the expectations are there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, a story I don't bring up very often and and you'll understand why is, um, So I've had child welfare services called on me a number of times and not just when I was going through a nasty divorce and there was drugs and there was a reason for child welfare services, but because my kids are nonverbal and if they show up, if there's a bruise on them that somebody can't identify where it came from, they call child welfare services. Well, one time they show up and now it's like their sixth visit. So I'm like that guy, right? Who Mm -hmm. is in the system and my son on his private part, it's all scabbed up and scabbed over. Mm. And so they are, nobody will say it, but they're investigating sexual mm. abuse potential. Yeah. Fortunately, when we went to the pediatrician, I'm just sharing, you know, this isn't like the fun stuff to share. I'm glad you're sharing because nobody talks about this stuff at all. And it's, it is important. And a lot of us have been investigated by DCF sometime and, and just, it's just a secret and it shouldn't be because, but I get it. <laughs> and it's, traumatic. it's really traumatic. I mean, when your son, so we went to the doctor and they had him pull down his pants and when he doesn't have his onesie and his diaper and all those things kind of keeping it, he, the way he went to grab himself was exactly where the scabs were. And so they had to write a thing that he's going through puberty yeah. and, and he's hormones Yeah. and they closed the case and this and this and that. But, you know, while you're getting investigated, they have to pull your other kids out of class to interview them. 
Yeah. So now they've been pulled out of class six or seven times. They're embarrassed as all can be. Mm-hmm. And you want to say to to CWS, like, we have to look out. You know, he's nonverbal. No, I'd, every kid at school has a bruise. If you call child welfare services for everybody who had a bruise at school, you, anyway, yeah. it's a challenging situation. It um, is. And it hurts the other children, too, because, I mean, I've had DCF called on me a couple of times. Most parents that I've talked to, when they admit it, it comes out, too. And, yeah. you know, these these other siblings, this is their norm, <laughs> you know, and it, it sucks, but it is. So then you're having yeah. somebody else question them. It's very traumatic. My daughters speak out a lot about having um, a special needs brother and how it affected their life in very many positive ways. But, you know, some of the things were, were challenging for them. And we need to give the siblings a, a platform as well. Yeah, I know. The one thing that my kids do have is they have more empathy at a young age than I had when I was 30. I mean, they really have to grow up fast. Yeah. Anyway, so what's next? What's next on your, uh, you seem to go after big things. Yeah, I worked on healthcare reform for a long time when healthcare reform was happening because of my son and because of my business. I really want to enact political change. And then I look at the news and say, well, Maybe not today, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I really think that caregivers need more resources for sure. And I know that it's available. Medicaid will pay for services for our children, but they won't pay for services for the people taking care of them. I think that mental health should be mandatory for um, anybody receiving Medicaid because it's not accessible to a lot of people. Uh, in addition to that, I do, I want to advocate and lobby for caregiver pay that was on the ballot for a long time. And then it got it went geriatric, you know, and, you know, I can see how it didn't get passed because, you know, we all grow old. We can't, it's just a part of it. But the difference for us is, is, you know, people who are senior citizens get to plan those things. Our kids and our families don't. A lot of our families live in poverty and it is just from getting the short stick. So I definitely am going to try to get back in DC and get some bills on the table to get a caregiver program going. I wouldn't have known about the caregiver program that they have already, unless um, I married a, a disabled veteran. And the federal government does pay veteran spouses and families to care for disabled veterans and mental health is mandatory. So that program is already in place. And that is really the reason that I wanted to, well, besides the support, I wanted to write this book and I wanted to get myself the, um, kind of the cloud to get into into DC and try to make these things happen because wow. it's um, it's already available. Their program's already in place, but it, it, I think it needs to be a federal bill to our population because mental health is very, very important. And our lifespans, unfortunately, are shortened because of stress, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. It's amazing. It shouldn't, be, shouldn't be this hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's amazing. The caregiver wage is not enough. I can't, you know, I do have respite hours that are available to me, but I can't get anybody to work for the pay that they're willing to pay. Yeah. And so each state is different in Florida. They won't pay the parent at all. I know in California, do they pay the parents? They will. But I mean, even the caregiver, like, you know, it's almost minimum wage. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, then you have like rural Kentucky or West Virginia. I mean, there's just, there's just the services I think should be the same across the board. Um, I do understand healthcare very well and how it's funded and there are funds available. We just need to put more focus on our families for sure. And I appreciate all you're doing the book. Um, we're going to put it in the show notes. I'm going to get a copy of it and check it out. And thank you for, you know, being a voice who has taken quite a few steps on this journey 
for the parent that is just got the diagnosis and says, sees no light in sight, doesn't think they're going to be able to pull this off. What do you say to them? Um, one, something I said to another mom the other day, and she looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm, I'm just going to say it again anyways. Taking care of yourself is priority. Your child will still be disabled tomorrow. And she was very offended when I said that. <laughs> but but it, she called later and said, I get it now. You know, I think that we're just so in panic mode all the time. And we're just, we're not giving ourselves time to breathe and grieve. You know, we have to kind of grieve that our life does not look like we thought it was going to look like. You know, this is not our dream of parenthood. And it sucks. And it's okay to say it sucks. And it's okay to be yourself and it's okay to go to the mall or go hang out with your friends or do whatever. You just got to get the supports in place very early so that you can, you know, do that. Heather, thanks for telling it like it is and taking the time to be on the show and share, share your journey. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You too. All right. We'll be in touch. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. This concludes our show for today, and I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, and the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long. So long.